Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, our last one for the year in 2022. We are happy to tell you, as we did at the end of yesterday's edition, that there is an extra year-end edition of the Three Martini Lunch, three new categories that we'll get to today, and it's totally not because we didn't realize that January 2nd was a holiday. Uh, so, <laughs> Actually, that's exactly why it happened. So our uh, person of the year- Greg, why don't they write these things down? That's, yeah, that's crazy. What, what, what date is going to be on what day? I know. We need these things so they're listed all out well ahead of time. What should we call it? Uh, cal- calendar or something like that? Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, the New Year's Day is on a Sunday. So uh, a lot of people are going to be taking off on the 2nd. So that's when you'll get our person of the year, turncoat of the year, and our predictions for 2023. Uh, today, our uh, new categories for this special edition, biggest liabilities left and right. That's one category. And then we'll have our favorite non-political news story of 2022 and then our personal story of the year so uh fun stuff to get to here so uh jim where do you go with your biggest liabilities left and right in 2022 uh certainly not a short list no no so uh the more fun one is to pick out the biggest liability for the democratic party two jumped out very clearly and and strongly uh one is the president one is the vice president I chewed it over. I mean, look, we can make fun of Kamala Harris on this podcast all day long. And, and we've, you know, given her her share of grief on this. I do think that actually as 2022 comes to a close, at least as of this taping, it feels like you hear from her less often. Uh, every once in a while, you'll find some video of her sounding like uh, she's mixed up the words to a Hallmark card. And, you know, we we need the ones to be the ones that we are and we were waiting for the one, you know, all kind of stuff. But I, I think she actually is less of a liability. I think she's just kind of forgotten about. She's kind of this uh, non-entity in Washington, which as bad as it might seem, it's kind of an improvement of what she was for much of the first year of this administration. So I think the single worst liability for the Democratic Party right now, strange as it may sound, because everybody's saying he had a good year, is Joe Biden. That, Repo- that the Democrats did fairly well in the midterm elections. They lost the House, but by a smaller margin than folks expected. They kept control of the Senate, in fact, expanded their majority by a seat. Uh, but I think they did that kind of in spite of Joe Biden, not because of Joe Biden. I pointed out that he did not do the traditional rallies with candidates that most uh, presidents do in a midterm election. Uh, his appearances on the uh, campaign trail were few and far between for a long stretch. He did, you know, pick up the pace near the end, but you didn't see him going to a whole bunch of swing states and places where you thought he could do some good. Pennsylvania being the lone exception, but again, when he gets out on the on the trail, uh, he's not a particularly effective speaker. His comments are meandering. At any given moment, he blurt out they could blurt out that you know the conflict in Ukraine is going to lead to Armageddon. With very little explanation. Um, and so I think he remains, you know, his as the year ends, his job approval is still in the low 40s. Um, a couple may have it in the high 30s. He's an unpopular president. He's not a good communicator. He's, you know, not a particularly galvanizing figure in American life. And yet he's doing okay, or at least not as bad as everybody could have expected, with a lot of people expecting him to be the Democratic nominee in 2024, even though I think by any standard measure, he's a particularly weak candidate. So I have Biden as my, you know, worst liability for the Democratic Party in 2022. It probably will not surprise listeners that I would nominate Donald Trump to be the worst liability of the Republican Party in 2022. But I'm going to gonna narrow that down a little bit. Because, yes, there's a lot to critique about Donald Trump, everything from 
how he handled documents in Mar-a-Lago to trading cards and, you know, his really super duper early announcement that he's running for re-election and all that kind of stuff. But I think the single, what made him a true liability for the Republican Party this year was his criteria for who to endorse or who would make a good senator or governor in a whole bunch of these races. And the interesting thing is it wasn't always the same criteria, uh, although each one of them did have to, you know, effectively pledge complete and total support to Trump. And, you know, the, the biggest problem here is that Trump's biggest, you know, most important litmus test of whether someone is worthy of endorsement is how loyal are they? What held back Herschel Walker was different from what held back Mehmet Oz, which was different from what held back Blake Masters, which was different from what held back uh, Dan Cox in Maryland or uh, Mastriano up in Pennsylvania. They were all flawed in different ways. I think you look at all of them, you can probably make the argument that Herschel Walker was the strongest uh, they at least got to a runoff, but in the end, his communication issues were insurmountable, to say nothing with all the other uh, baggage he had from earlier in his life. I think Mehmet Oz ran a much better campaign as it went on, but in the end, the idea that he was effectively unknown to Pennsylvanians as a political figure and the claim that he didn't live in the state, I mean, and, you know, polling indicated that was more important to Pennsylvanians than Fetterman's mental condition and, and health condition. We can argue about whether that should be the case, but in the end, the electorate decides, and I think that ended up, he always ended up becoming too difficult a sale for Pennsylvania Republicans. And then the other ones, Mastriano, Cox, you know, they, they didn't really have much of a chance, and Masters always came across as kind of odd and off-putting. Mark Kelly was vulnerable, and they just never put it together there. So in the end, Donald Trump and what, why, who he thought would be a good candidate ended up being the biggest liability for Republicans in 2022. Yeah, very good choices. Uh, and it says something that the two most prominent names on both sides are the biggest liabilities. You don't see that too often, but uh, it's an interesting choice. And I'm going to kind of go with tag team partners here on both of these, Jim. You mentioned Kamala Harris and that she's kind of receded into the background, but there's a reason she's receded into the background is because you can't take her anywhere. Uh, every time she comes uh, to an event, uh, there's some sort of blather that just doesn't seem to have a point to it. You know, we're working hard to do the hard work that we've worked so hard to advance thus far. And so we're going to keep working hard to get the hard work done. You know, that kind of stuff. Or what she said about the the, the COVID process and, and vaccines and the rollout, that was a word salad. And then she just got on this Venn diagram kick for weeks at a time and acting like people didn't know how a Venn diagram worked. She doesn't add value, no matter where you put her. She's doing nothing on the border, at least that we can see in a positive way. Uh, she might be threatening some people in South America or Central America. Uh, and then, you know, there's, there's just not really an issue where you can be like, okay, Kamala, take the ball. We know that you can uh, articulate this well and uh, arm twist the, the people in the right way to get stuff done. Not that we would probably want them to succeed on, on most issues that she's in favor of, but there doesn't seem to be anything where she really brings a ton of value to the Democratic side. And so at a time when you've got an 80-year-old president who's not very popular, and uh, you know if the midterms hadn't gone well for the Democrats, the rumblings would have gotten louder about whether Biden's really up to the job. And one of the reasons why those never go any further is because people don't think that she's up to the job. So then on the uh, on the right side, uh, this isn't actually a uh, elected official or anything on the right side, but it goes along with what you said about the, the Trump endorsements and how that led to difficulties for Republicans winning winnable races. And they didn't win the winnable races. And the other part of that is the person who recruited the candidates to get in the first place, and that's Peter Thiel. I know a lot of people think he's this new type of thinker out of the box, Silicon Valley. I'm not even sure he's 
the most uh, America first guy out there. But anyway, he's on good terms with Trump, obviously, because Trump kept endorsing all his people. Uh, Mehmet Oz, not even a conservative. J.D. Vance got lucky. Uh, as much as they hate Mitch McConnell, I think Mitch McConnell's money got J.D. Vance potentially over the finish line, but it was still by six or seven points. So that one wasn't too costly. But uh, Blake Masters uh, in Arizona, when there was a perfectly good candidate in Attorney General Mark Burnovich, I know he'd been around a while, and uh, when he didn't go along with uh, Trump's theories on the 2020 election, he became a pariah in Trump's eyes. But uh, I think he would have been by far a stronger candidate. Whether he would have won against Mark Kelly, I don't know, but it would have been a heck of a lot tighter at least. Uh, and he's got a good personality. He's, he's very articulate and he's, you know, been in the trenches in Arizona. Blake Masters might have grown up there, but he parachuted in from Silicon Valley to run a Senate race and it just didn't work out. So Kamala Harris, uh, Peter Thiel are the, the two I'm going to add to that pile. Two excellent selections there, Greg. All right, on to our next category. We talked uh, in our most recent installment of the best story of 2022, and we talked about Ukraine and the overturning of Roe v. Wade and and that sort of thing, but uh, trying to get away entirely from politics for just a moment. Uh, not always easy, especially considering what we're normally talking about here, but Jim, the best non-political story of 2022. You know, I thought about going with um, the fact that the consequences of the disruption of exports of grain from Ukraine did not quite set off the global food crisis that people had feared. Uh, enough sources from enough other countries were shipped to the mostly third world countries that were highly dependent upon Ukrainian grain exports. Uh, and that crisis was mitigated a great deal. So I thought about that, but I actually thought, no, nah, it's too similar to my good, my actual best story of the year. And the political story there. So I decided to go with the fact that as of this recording in uh, late December, um, look, COVID-19 still exists. People are still getting it. Thankfully, it's mostly uh, mild cases for most people. Um, the vaccines are out there. People have previous and um, acquired immunity from previous infections. Now, the irony is we're going through, uh, as any parent will tell you, <laughs> bad flu season, bad winter cold season. Um the, the the CSV or whatever the, the other uh, virus going around. Lots of kids are sick for all kinds of different reasons. As frustrating as that is, you know, my kids got out of school, about like two weeks left in the year. Uh, schools have largely stayed open. You can find a school district here and there across the country where they've had like one third of the kids out and they decide to go to virtual learning, um, you know, because of that. But by and large, across the country, kids are in schools for almost the just about the entire year. And it's been, uh, we've already seen improvement from last year, even though we have a long ways to go to make up all the damage that occurred during the pandemic with you know, most kids out of school for an entire year, if not more. Um, so the fact that schools stayed open strikes me as the best non-political story of the year. Kids need to be in school. They're really, you know, there's online learning is just no substitute for it. And uh, all in all, it's one last thing for parents to worry about heading into 2023. Then again, there are also always a possibility of the seemingly endless snow closures that we're used to here in Fairfax County, Greg. Yeah, but it gets tricky now because now you have asynchronous learning because they know you can uh, do your homework online now. They, they make you do it without actual instruction or some people might still do Zoom calls now. They know that you can do that. And so the classic snow day, you might still get them once in a while, but uh, not quite what it used to be. And uh, that's unfortunate. But uh, yeah, definitely good that schools are remaining open. Uh, when I think of non-political stories, I think of what do we what do we go to to take our minds off of politics? And for me, a lot of times that's sports. And so 
my favorite story of the year is that Michigan beat Ohio State for the second year in a row and uh, even did in Columbus for the first time, unfortunately, in more than 20 years. But since there's a chance they could face each other in the college football championship game because they both made the playoffs, I'm not going to crow too much yet. Uh, So we'll wait and see how things turn out here in the playoffs. But that was definitely a wonderful day for me. Uh, And I'm not a Yankees fan, uh, Jim. Um, I'm a Cubs fan, as you probably know. But Aaron Judge uh, chasing and eventually eclipsing Roger Maris's 61 home runs in a clean pursuit is so refreshing. I mean, you and I probably remember back to 1998 when both Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa uh, pursued and eclipsed. And we didn't know it at the time, but in the back of our minds, we probably did, uh, that they were uh, taking some things they shouldn't have. Turns out they were. Great. It's natural for your neck to suddenly double in size late in life. Perfectly normal for a grown man's shoe size to double in a year. It happens. Yeah, yeah. boy. Drinks a lot of milk. Very random. Yeah, then Barry Bonds, same thing. He had 73 home runs and the size of his head. Uh, You know, you could do a whole science uh, thesis on that one. But uh, so Aaron Judge, huge guy, by all accounts, a really decent guy, great in the locker room, just signed another massive contract uh, with the Yankees in the offseason. No hints or uh, suspicions of uh, cheating. Just uh, a really good home run hitter. Does strike out a lot too, but uh, he hit 62 home runs. You had Roger Maris's son and a bunch of Hall of Famers saying, in my mind, that's the real record. And another hand you'll have, look, whatever you think of Bonds, he's got the single season record. He's got the all-time record. And fine, uh, if that's the way Major League Baseball is going to do it, that's the way they're going to do it. But in the minds of people who want the game to be played in the purest possible way, it's good to have somebody you can root for. And I think uh, even if you're not a Yankees fan, that was pretty darn cool, too. Excellent selection again, Greg. On to our final category for today's installment and uh, personal story of the year. Jim, what do you got? Yeah, this, by the way, is another new category we're rolling out. Let us know what you think of it. It's possible this isn't a good idea. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but it seemed like the sort of thing that we needed to say. And I, you know, we talk about a lot of, look, most years we have a lot more bad and crazy martinis than we have good martinis. So it feels a little awkward to share good personal news uh, when everybody else has had a lousy 2022. I hope your your year has been good. I don't know how to say this, but I've had a phenomenal 2022. I've been very lucky, very blessed in life, and I appreciate it for all that. Professionally, it's been a phenomenal year. Um, National Review ran a cover story on the Lab League. Uh, started making uh, guest appearances on Megyn Kelly's uh, very popular program. Uh, we added interviews to this show. Uh, Chris Sununu and Joe Lieberman, and I think Costas was late 2021, so that may not count. But the so one of the biggest professional uh, developments, you know, readers and listeners probably have noticed. I've started writing for the Washington Post more frequently. Um, and that's not a coincidence. It's not that they've suddenly started liking my submissions after not liking them for a long time. I'm not leaving National Review. Nothing is changing for anything I do for the this podcast or for National Review. But I am also joining the the Washington Post as a columnist. Uh, I'm very honored and flattered to be in this publication. It is a an institution. It is something I've been reading for you know decades and decades. Yes, I've had a gripe or two every now and then about uh, how the Post covers things, but I don't know about you, Greg. It seems a lot better now. Um, ever since they started running my stuff, I just have nothing to complain about. No concerns about Jen Rubin anymore, Jim? No, no. Look, honest to goodness, they've said, I said, you know, if I start running for you guys, what is what do you guys expect regarding uh, other people who would be running for the Washington Post? And they had a very simple attitude of don't pick fights uh with our other contributors play nice you can disagree with them but be respectful about it but honestly great i just don't see anything about the washington post to, to criticize or complain about hmm. not even max boot no, no, 
yeah, no, they're great. They're all great. What wonderful folks. Always thought provoking. Tail Lorenz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. They're all all the best. Love them all. Great. Uh, great. No complaints. Well, that's gonna be a fabulous Christmas party next year, Jim. No, uh, no awkward moments there. Uh, what's up? Congratulations. Uh, I want to. I'm, I'm excited to see your voice and your in your writing in as many different places as possible. And the mainstream media needs conservative voices in prominent places and the fact that the Washington Post saw the value in having you there is uh, is fantastic and, uh, and hopefully it's a, a relationship that continues strongly for a long, long time. I uh, am going to uh, focus on a trip to Disney that we did back in uh, February. Uh, it was very, very convincingly cloaked as a generous gift of my in-laws. It was, of course, a secret mission to evaluate Disney CTU and, and how they're doing <laughs> uh, in the wake of all of the discussions we've had about them in a long time. Uh, but no, it's a really uh, fantastic time. It was a few months before the whole Disney DeSantis thing blew up, so there was no you know cultural cloud hanging over our visit. And you know anybody who's been there knows how well it's run. It's extraordinarily expensive, which is maddening. But uh, the experience that the kids get out of it is is something else. Uh, they come home at the end of the day, uh, ex- completely worn out and completely worn out in a good way. The kids love the rides. They would spend one day at Animal Kingdom. Uh, very, very good. Uh, we spent two days at Magic Kingdom with a day of rest in between, which was very, very smart. Hats off to my wife for scheduling it that way. And I think my mother-in-law uh, contributed to that as well. And so on the first day there, though, my older daughter got dehydrated and was just totally wilting. So they t- took her back and uh, she missed out on most of the first day, but she recovered. And uh, by the, the second day that we were at Magic Kingdom, we crammed in every conceivable ride and uh, got her to see absolutely everything she wanted to see. Thoroughly delighted at that she didn't really miss out on anything, even though she had to take part of one day off. So hats off to Disney. Hats off to Disney CTU. A lot of different layered security there, but you really don't notice it unless you're really, really looking for it. And so uh, they let you have a, a grand experience, but uh, uh, there is a ton of security happening there uh, behind the scenes. And so, uh, so far, so good because the FBI won't do it. So we might as well have them do it. So there we go, Jim. That's my uh, personal story of the year. Greg, I salute you. I, I can't help but have a feeling. I just have a sneaking suspicion, you know, pretend you're dehydrated. I want to take a look at Disney CTU behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> David, the motivation there. I, I also, it says something about this podcast that, you know, many, many years later, people still bring it up. Uh, when people talk to me about the podcast, it's almost always the first thing that they uh, mention. And I think it, because it just kind of, not only was it very funny, the idea of, you know, you know, Mickey Mouse and Goofy, you know, waterboarding people to get information out of them and using mouse tools for for uh, extracting information and things like that. Um, I think it expresses the the exasperation uh, at, you know, people who have the duty and responsibility of keeping us safe and how we've seen it fail over and over again. And the irony of the fact that the, you know, Pulse nightclub shooter had been deterred by the security presence at Disney World and then went to hit another target he determined to be vulnerable Sometimes I have this saying that we laugh because otherwise we would cry. And I think one of the things this show does well is pointing out the absurd, pointing out the ridiculous, pointing out the ironies and contradictions in so much of modern life and modern politics. And uh, I look forward to being able to laugh through the coming year with you, Greg, and with all of our listeners. Yes, absolutely. Well said. Uh, Very grateful for you, Jim. Very grateful for our listeners. Uh, This is our final podcast for 2022. As we mentioned at the outset, our final year-end edition will actually be a year-starting edition on Monday, January 2nd with our Person of the Year, Turncoat of the Year, and predictions for 2023. But in the meantime, have a fabulous uh, New Year's celebration. Please do it safely. Enjoy all the football and uh, blessings to all of you in the new year. Jim, have a great time and I'll see you on Monday.
See you next year, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Uh, please tell a friend about us as well. Uh, thank you also for your five-star ratings, your kind reviews. Please keep them coming. Go out and get Jim's brand new book, Gathering Five Storms, and the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Happy New Year, and join us again on Monday for our final year and installment of the Three Martini Lunch. Bye.